trauma is not a disorder. It's not a disease. And it's been called that, but it is a wound. It may not be a physical wound, but it's a wound to our psyche, to our soul. It leaves us bereft, disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from others. So it is a wound that can be healed if we know the right tools and can apply those tools. Welcome to Beyond Theory, a podcast powered by Meadows Behavioral Healthcare that brings you in-depth conversations from the front lines of mental health and addiction recovery. I'm David Condos. When Dr. Peter Levine began studying trauma in the 1970s, he noticed that humans react to stress differently than every other mammal. So how did that discovery inspire his best-selling book, Waking the Tiger? And what can learning about an animal's response to trauma teach us about healing the wounds in our own minds? Let's get out of the abstract and see how this applies in the real world. It's time to go beyond theory. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome back Dr. Peter Levine. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm glad to be back. All right. So in the last episode, you took us through kind of your background, your story, and some of the work you've done over, over the last 45 plus years. Uh, so now we're going to dive in deeper on your work, on the somatic experiencing uh, that you developed, and, and you'll be speaking on here at the U.S. Journal Conference yes. in Arizona. To start off, what, how would you introduce that to someone who, who's never heard of it? What would be like a brief overview of somatic experiencing. Okay. Well, soma is the body and experience is experiencing, is experiencing. And it's being able to experience our bodies, not just anatomically, but in terms of its vitality, its energetic aliveness. I think it really comes down to when people are stuck, their energy is stuck. And when people are able to then restore their energy, their aliveness, their vitality. That's what healing is about. Yeah. And so it's kind of being aware of your body at a, at a level that we're not normal. That's right. And it's being aware of the body. And the map, actually, the map is in this book, Unspoken Voice. Uh, there are five basic channels that we see in somatic experiencing. Inner sensations, images that come into the mind's eye, uh, behaviors that you can observe in the client. Affect stands for feelings, emotions, categorical emotions like anger, fear, sadness, surprise, but also softer feelings, what I call felt sense feelings. And then meanings. And when a person's been traumatized, the meaning becomes fixed. It gets stuck as a, as a, as a fixed belief. And so it's a, the, the meaning of themselves, of their life? The meaning of the, in other words, um, I'm not worthy of success or um, whatever I do, it's not going to help. So these are beliefs that get rigidified. And when you work with a person and they learn to be able to identify and follow their inner body sensations, tensions, tingling, vibration, trembling, uh, warmth, waves of, of warmth. All of these things take the person into a new experience, an experience that 
really contradicts the experience of overwhelming helplessness. And it helps us have these new experiences and from these new experiences to have new meanings. Not fixed beliefs, but new meanings. Like, I am able to love and to be loved. I mean, that's a big one where before it might have been, I'm unworthy for love. So having again these new experiences. So you mentioned that phrase, feeling stuck, mm-hmm. something stuck. And, and I think that is also related to the research, so what you were seeing in animals. Yes. Right. And so, so tell us about that, because that was a big part of how you, how you developed That's this years part. ago. That's a, that was really the way, the origin of how the whole, whole thing began. As again, I was working with people in the 60s and 70s, I would see that sometimes a symptom could be from a, a, a traumatic childhood, but sometimes it was something that seemed relatively minor, but yet it had this profound effect. Sometimes, for example, a person could be walking at night and somebody comes up with a knife and a gun, and of course they're terrified, and they come home, and sometimes that terror stays with them. So I realized that animals in the wild, or I postulated that animals in the wild, if they were to survive, and if the species were to survive, they would have to be able to shake off the encounters they had with predators. So if you see um, a coyote chasing rabbit, and the race goes on, and then the rabbit is just able to escape. So it goes home, goes to its a little hole in the ground. And what does it say? Does it say, I don't want to ever get out of here. There's too much danger. Everything's threatening, right? It has to go back out there. It has to go back there to survive. So I reason there must be something. Again, the part of our brains, this came from my research in biophysics, medical biophysics, that the same part of our brains that are involved with threat and with other instincts we share almost identically with all other mammals, primates and and other mammals. And so there must be something that they do or something that they don't do that gives them this relative immunity. And if that's the case, how can I use those to help people also develop in a way retrospectively that capacity, that resilience, that immunity to being traumatized. And so I spent a lot of time observing animals in many different situations. And in some many of my travels around the world, I would be able to speak to different um, uh, like wildlife managers and so forth. And I told them about what I was observing in my clients. And I remember one African guy, African, I think he was from Kenya. He said, oh, exactly what you're describing, which were these gentle trembling and shaking. That's exactly what we observe in in animals. And so they would have to capture the animal, cage it, and then release it in the park. When they're in the cage, if they don't shake and tremble the way you describe, they won't survive. So they saw a connection between the ones that trembled and the ones that survived. Exactly, and the ones that didn't. And so again, this is not a natural environment for an animal being in a cage. 
But again, even so, if the animal is able to discharge, I mean, think about this. You, uh, a cheetah is, is chasing down uh, an impala, and that chase goes on at like 65 miles an hour, even more. And you think about the energy, the muscular energy, the nervous system energy to be able to propel that chase and that escape. That animal is giving that all it has. It, yes, yeah, yeah. plus. Yeah. Yeah. And if the, the cheetah actually brings down the impala, the impala appears to be dead, not moving. And I've seen instances, and I have some video material about this, that some hyenas came because they knew by their observing that the cheetah was was spent, and so they started to you know go in after the after the impala and started chewing on the impala, and then the hyena goes back again to try to back off the uh, cheetah, and in that moment, boom, the animal turns over and off it goes. The impala. The impala. Yeah. Off it goes. So all of that energy get, that got locked in went into the escape. But with people, that energy doesn't go into a full-out escape. So how to work with that energy, and this is, again, one of the keys in somatic experiencing, a concept called titration, that we only access the person's experience, the trauma experience, the energy of that experience, one small amount at a time so the person is not overwhelmed because in the nervous system being overwhelmed is really not any different than having the original trauma so it was the key to do it gently and again each time bringing the person more and more into life another principle is pendulation so when you come to a sensation that's difficult you feel a contraction like you're recoiling like you're recoiling Exactly. But if you are guided, that contraction then opens into an expansion and then to another smaller contraction and then to another expansion. So being able to help people see that even though it feels worse at first initially, then when they're able to be with the sensations in their bodies, then that sensation will actually move through to another sensation which has more open openness, more freedom. But again, the idea is to not overwhelm the person, and that's one of the key features of somatic experiencing. Some of this work and studying animals and the, the parallels that, that they have with humans that ended up leading to uh, one of your best known works, uh, Waking the Tiger, yep. is a book from the mid 90s. And yep. so that image of like the tiger and, and how you're talking about mm -hmm. the prey mm -hmm. using all its energy to get away. And then with humans, we, we end up storing that. That's right. It gets locked inside of us. Uh, t uh, if you have a couple of minutes, mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little bit how the title for my book came waking the tiger so I was this was in the 60s I was developing a series of relaxation these body mind uh, interests of mine and I worked with a group of people who had high blood pressure and by helping them to relax in a certain sequence certain muscles in their jaw and their neck and their shoulders sometimes the blood pressure would go from like 160 170 down to normal. And a woman 
had been going from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist, because she had all kinds of symptoms, pain throughout her body, uh, migraines, irritable bowel, gastric distress. She also had severe panic attacks. So she was unable to leave the house without her husband at all. I mean, really, and even then it was an ordeal. And so I began to help her relax and her, her heart rate was about 150 beats a minute. So I, I used the, my, my procedures to get some relaxation. And her heart rate started going down and down and down. And then, boom, it shot up, like up to about 160 beats a minute. 100. And I didn't know what to do. Remember, I was just, this is the very beginning of my explorations. So... What do you think the stupidest thing anybody could say at a time like that? I don't know. You need. You must relax. Relax, <laughs> Nancy. You must relax. Yeah. And to my relief, her heart rate started going down again. And it went down to 90, to 80, to 70, to 60, to 50. And she turned pale. And she opened her eyes and just riveted my eyes with hers and said, I'm dying. I'm dying. Don't let me die. Help me, help me. Don't let me die. In that moment, on the far side of the consulting room, I saw the image of a tiger getting ready to spring into action. And I said, Nancy, there's a tiger chasing you. Run, climb those rocks and escape. And I could see she, she still was terrified. And I said, it's okay. I gave her a little extra support. You can do it. I know you can do it. Just feeling your body, feeling your arms, feeling your legs. For about 30 or 40 minutes, her body would go through, her hands would be freezing cold and then warm. There'd be deep, spontaneous breaths. There'd be uh, gentle trembling, sweating. Then her hands would turn really warm. There'd be, again, full, spontaneous breaths. And then towards the end of the session, her she was just so deeply calm. Her color was, you know, rosy. And she opened her eyes and looked at me. And this time, not to grab onto my eyes, but to engage with me. And she said, do you want to know what happened? And I said, yes. And she said, well, when you told me about the tiger, I was terrified. I mean, I, you know, I'm terrified all the time, but I was really terrified. And when you said to run, run to escape, I felt like I was trying to run in quicksand, in mud. I just couldn't move my legs. But then when you gave me some encouragement, I could feel myself running and climbing. I'd feel my arms climbing the rocks, my arms and my legs climbing the rock. And when I got to the top, I looked down and I saw the tiger and I knew I was safe. And then the tiger image disappeared and I saw myself 20 years ago, when she was four years old, being held down by doctors and nurses while she was being a mask was forced onto her face for a, a tonsillectomy. And so for 20 years, she, her body had wanted to escape, 
butt-cheek from foot, being held down from in being that surgery. Held down. Okay. And it was there, ready to escape, like the like the Impala was ready to escape when the coast was clear. She was ready to escape, but she couldn't. And then in the session, she could complete that running response. And then she said, it feels like I'm being held in warm, tingling waves. And that gave me another clue that trauma, of course, can be hell on earth, but trauma transformed can be, I guess you could even call it a spiritual experience. Her feeling warmth and being held by hands, by caring, loving hands. So that was another piece that I started to realize that was much more common than not common, that people would have, not just that they would, quote, get rid of the trauma, but they would be able to transform into very positive experiences. That gets back to the Impala analogy and, and kind of completing that Escape. Escape. And so why why do you think that is so important? Why For humans who aren't actually fleeing a tiger, we're, we're fleeing some other kind of trauma. Yes. Why, why is it important to that action of following through and completing? Well, because we are animals. When we are unable to complete a response, that's when it, the trauma gets locked in us. I describe in, uh, in an unspoken voice uh, an experience that I had, uh, I think 2005. I was, it was a beautiful Southern California day and I had a lift in my step and I was walking down to my favorite um, Vietnamese restaurant. And as I crossed the crosswalk, this teenager, uh, there was a truck on, on, on one side of the road and she didn't see me and she went right through the crosswalk and hit me at about 25 miles an hour and threw me up into the air. And I was laying on the ground, numb, just like the gazelle was, numb, not able to move, not able to orient. Thankfully, a woman came over and she sat down. She um, announced herself as being a, a doctor, actually a pediatrician. And I remember thinking, that's exactly the kind of specialty I need right now. <laughs> and she asked, how can I help you? And I said, just stay here, just hold my hand. And having her support there, just the way I supported Nancy, allowed me to go to where that energy was locked in and release it in different waves, in different waves. And also I felt my, uh, my left arm going up into the air and protecting my head from hitting into the wind windshield because the windshield cracked. But fortunately, my head didn't hit it directly. Then I experienced this red rage and the, the words came, this damn kid, how could she go through this crosswalk. I was just angry and furious, but all of that was still energy. So I restored the energy that I needed to execute my escape with the help from this good Samaritan. Hmm. But you had to release that or else but you would have stored it. I had to release it. it, but I also had to have somebody there to be with me. Because trauma is not just what happens to us, but what happens in the absence of an empathic person who's there with you in that experience. Yeah. And so this 
idea of the, you know, the prey getting away, using this energy, kind of mm-hmm. shaking loose the, this shaking energy. Shaking it out, yeah. Um, this makes me curious, like if, if animals have this kind of, you know, evolutionary baked in response that seems to be effective. Why don't, why don't we do that? Did we used to do it and we don't do it? What, what, that what's is the problem? a really good question. That took me decades of thinking about <laughs> that. And I came up with a few things. Well, probably the first one is we tend to overthink things. So we interfere, we override this natural processes. But then once that's happened, then we're more likely to accumulate stress and trauma after that. And so our mind thinks it can think its way out of it? Think its way out. And you see people who have been traumatized, they really try to think their way out of it, but you can't. It's not a thinking thing. There's a poem sometimes I recite to people, you know, when they're really struggling to just let go of their mind and come to their body experience. And this is a a poem that was written by a 10-year-old Uganda girl. And it is, I have a little brain that's tucked safely in my head, and another one that's in the air instead. That one follows me and plays with me in bed. The other one confuses me, the one that's in my head. So again, going from the mind, which is interfering with the process, back to enlisting the living, knowing, the living, sensing, knowing body. So that's the somatic experiencing. And that somatic experiencing, in a nutshell. As you you mentioned, you have been at, at the Meadows this week. You've been you know training. You've you've been kind of working on on the front lines, and so uh, how does this integrate with uh, you know addiction treatment, with uh, mental health treatment, with sure. the Meadows model? Uh, how, how does that all work together? Well, again, I think people are realizing that addictions are driven, compulsions are driven by trauma and other negations of our life force. You have to be able to to heal those wounds uh, because the wounds drive a lot of the addictive behaviors. You, know, you think about somebody who's, who's, who's depressed and they come across amphetamines or cocaine and all of a sudden they feel energized and they feel like they can talk with people. And, and Like that's fixing the problem. Like, it, like it's fixing the problem. But the problem is when you get an exogenous coming from the outside, it doesn't work. You may get that rush, but not only it doesn't doesn't last, you need more and more to get those sensations. So you have to work not just with trauma, but with getting to those experiences of empowerment and mastery and feeling good in oneself, because then you don't have the need for the addiction anymore. I don't disagree at all by the use of like like uh, opioid agonists and so forth, you know, to help people detox. Yeah, that's one tool. That's one tool. Yeah. But until the person's experience in themselves changes, then the, the situation itself hasn't really changed. Yeah, and, and you described it as a wound. I describe it as a wound. And I, I think that's an important distinction. Could you talk about why that, Absolutely. why trauma is more Because trauma of a is injury? not a disorder, it's not a disease, and it's been called that but it is a wound. It may not be a physical wound, but it's a wound to our psyche, to our soul. It leaves us bereft, disconnected 
from ourselves and disconnected from others. So it is a wound that can be healed if we know the right tools and can apply those tools. So we've we've explored how this somatic experiencing work, can work in a clinical setting mm-hmm. and, and when you're yeah. training people. Uh, in a more practical sense, what's something someone could do? What okay. I know, I know you said you might be able to take us through an exercise. I could I'd do that, but let me give you some first some just kind of sure. general kind of things to do. You know, what depends what the, the addiction is or what the situation is, but when you feel the compulsion to try to just take a moment to stand back from the compulsion enough to sense it in your body. And, or if you're feeling anxiety or fear, where is that in the body? And then by being able to attend to it in this kind of gentle way, then the sensation moves from constriction to expansion. And so then the person starts to move through it. There's one exercise also that's very helpful, especially when people are shut down. And that's a very, very simple exercise. But the idea is to take an yeah, and easy... And people who are listening can join as well, right? Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, you know, inviting them to yeah. do it. But again, if it feels like it's frightening, you can either not do it or even just imagine doing it. And the idea is taking a full, easy breath and on the exhalation, making the sound voo, as though it's coming from the belly and then let the air and the sound all the way out and then just let the next breath to come in filling belly and chest and then again taking letting the breath come in on its own And just notice sensations, feelings, thoughts, pictures, images. Just noticing. And then noticing what else happens or what happens next. And that's, again, the key of moving things forward in time. Drama is getting stuck at a certain time. This is moving through time back into from there to here, present time. Hmm. And so an exercise like that, what what does that do that not doing the exercise doesn't allow to do? Does it, does it allow you to focus more? Well, or it allows you, you know, I can explain the physiology, but that takes a little bit of time. But just to say, it, re, you know, in our guts, when people talk about gut instincts, gut feelings, it's literally coming from our guts. And there's a nerve that goes from the brain to the guts, and sends messages from the brain to the guts. But actually, the great majority of those nerve fibers, it's the biggest nerve in the body called the vagus nerve, sends fibers from the guts back up to the brain. So you want to change, because when you're traumatized, your guts are twisted up. So you want to get a new message from the guts back up to the brain that says, you don't have to be twisted and wrenched anymore. Mm. And this helps send a new signal from the gut back up to the brain. A relaxing signal. A relaxing signal, you could say a relaxing signal. So uh, we'll, we'll wrap up with two quick things that we can leave listeners with. First one is, 
for, for someone who wants to dive in even deeper on these topics, on, on healing trauma, mm-hmm. um, sure. what, what would be a, a book, a resource oh, sure. that, that you'd recommend for them well, to look into? I can mention, you know, if it's okay, some of my books, uh, Waking the Tiger was really the very beginning of people writing about trauma and certainly about the body, yeah. trauma in the body. Yeah, you said at the time when you released that in the mid-90s, there was only one other book? One other book, Judith Herman's uh, Trauma and Recovery. Hmm. One other book. That's incredible. Isn't yeah. that, I mean, there are literally hundreds of books on trauma now. Then I wrote this book in an unspoken voice, which really gets at the substance of the SE approach. And it's the full title is an unspoken voice, how the body releases trauma and restores goodness, which is just what we've been talking about, really. And then the most recent book is what there's such misunderstanding about trauma memories. And traumatic memories are very different than ordinary memories. Mm. Memories very, very, very different. Like the body stores them. Differently. The body how the body stores them. They're sometimes they're called procedural memories or body memories. And so I wrote a book called uh, Trauma and Memory: Brain and Body in the Search for the Living Past. Then there are a couple of other books. One book that I think are very important. One written by a very dear, well, two from very good friends of mine. One by Robert Scare, Bob Scare called The Trauma Spectrum, and then Bessel van der Kolk's book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score. So those are two really important books, seminal books. Oh yeah, glad we have more than one book to turn people to. right. (laughs) Because the mid-90s, that's not that long ago. No, no. That's interesting how how far society has come. Yes. Again, you ask, is it mainstream? (laughs) Well, that's some indication that it is. Yeah. All right. Well, just to leave listeners with uh, one last word, what, what's a favorite piece of advice that, that you'd like to share that's meant a lot to you? You can get help. You can get guidance to move through traumas, no matter how deep and painful they are. There are ways. There are tools. Without tools, trauma rules. With tools, we can begin to tame our traumas and restore goodness. Dr. Peter Levine is a psychologist, best-selling author, and a senior fellow with the Meadows based in Southern California. Learn more about his somatic experiencing approach and all of Dr. Levine's books, including Waking the Tiger, at traumahealing.org. Beyond Theory is produced, written, and edited by me, David Condos. You can discover all the episodes from this season of Beyond Theory, including the first part of my talk with Dr. Levine at beyondtheorypodcast.com. Finally, thank you for being a part of our conversations this season. And I hope you'll join us again next time for season three of Beyond Theory. Beyond Theory.